I want to start um, with this. It is a, um, a letter that Aristides um, wrote as an apologia, an, a, a, a statement about Christianity. Uh, not apologizing, but a, 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 a way of, saying, of making defense and, and, and attractive what Christianity is. It was written in 125 AD and was written to the emperor Hadrian at the time. It's a long quote, so I'll, I've got it up there for you because someone told me I should, on long quotes, put it up there. So, here we go. For the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language, nor the customs which they observe. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners, as citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as the land of strangers. They marry, have children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, and yet abound in all. They are reviled, but they bless. And they love one another. And from the widows, they do not turn away their countenance. And they rescue the or orphan from him who does him violence. And he who has, gives to him who has not, without grudging. And when they see the stranger... They bring him to their dwellings and rejoice over him as if over a true brother. Now, just really not that far before then is the, is the scriptures that address some of the things that shaped what Aristides may have communicated to Hadrian. So listen to the word of God. This is all that proceeds that I read to the kids. It says 2 Corinthians we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that in his poverty you might become rich. Let the Lord bless the preaching of his word. 
That was his word, and it was given to you in love. I kind of like starting this new year talking about generosity and giving. I like the wise man epiphany kind of thing. I like that a lot. Um, the more giving of our time and treasure and talent. I mean, you got to think about these, these wise men, these magi, who, who the, the amount of time it took to walk, the, the, the amount of money it took to have a caravan that went, and then the gifts that they give, gave, and then the talents of these likely Zoroastrian um, um, magic-type people who could read the stars to get there. It's pretty fascinating. And I also like it because I'm we're going to be talking about giving for the next few weeks. Um, after all the major nonprofit fundraising has occurred. Yeah, I think that's good. Because our goal is not to compete for your, re your year-end dollars in the nonprofit market. Though, by definition in the economy, we have to. And by the way, we didn't do as well as we um, hoped. And we'll talk about all that stuff in the congregational meeting at the end of the month. Which, so, but year-end giving, which is totally real, is not our primary concern. Our concern, what we're trying to do, is to have us be a community of giving 12 months a year to become and become more of a generous community. That's the goal. It's also cool right now, in my mind, that uh, Justin Edgar is probably right now preaching his final sermon, well, maybe not final, his last sermon in this, uh, of his tenure there in Albuquerque. You guys, in the next weeks, we have rounded up, uh, rounded out and rounded up our pastoral staff. Thanks be to God. Just six months ago, I was not the last man. I was just, I was, it was me. With Eric coming this summer and Justin coming next week, we'll have, we'll be, moving into what we've prayed for so earnestly. Of course, this means we're going to have a little bit more financial responsibilities in that. I got that. Um, and there's the, the budget that we put out there is actually going to have to be actualized now. You know, we had to put it out there, but we're actually going to have to hit that budget now, um, uh, which is fine. We'll talk about that again in months to come. But for the next six weeks, uh, we're going to work through the bulk of chapters 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians. And I want you to give yourselves to this. Just take some times in these weeks, maybe every week, just to read through these chapters. You might have to read a little before, a little after. It's okay. Um, it'll be a boon to your soul. You might not understand stuff a little bit, but give yourself to it, and we'll, we'll talk about it when we get here. Um, but the context, the story behind chapters 8 and 9 is fascinating to me. It's a very particular situation. Uh, Paul is raising a bunch of money. For the church in Jerusalem, which was like the, beside, it was that Jerusalem and Antioch were the main hubs of the church planting movement. And so he's in Jerusalem. This is the, the first hub. And, um, and they've been going through some famines at this point. And he is raising money from all the non-Jewish communities that he had planted, churches that he had planted, cities and areas that he had planted. And the Macedonian church uh, has been really sacrificial in its giving to help Jerusalem. But there's this issue with the church in Corinth. There's a reason that Paul wrote four letters to Corinth. We have two of them, but he references the other two uh, in the two we have. And, um, you know, they had some beef. They had some issues they had to work through, which is 
Now he's going to have to talk to them about money, which is super awkward for a pastor anyway, but again, even more awkward when, you know, they've promised an amount and they haven't delivered on it. So, Paul isn't sure exactly what's going on there. I'm sure he's not sure, but he does know that they haven't, they, they haven't given yet, and it's now been a year since they promised it, or a little over a year, or a little under, I can't remember the math. So Paul is trying to pastorally talk about money. No pastors love talking about money. Also trying to deal with the possible tension that there still may be, yikes, and still trying to pastor them, this is the most important part, into this incredible privilege of being a generous and giving community, which is what his major point and my only point in this sermon is. He wants us to realize, and them, that generosity is not just a Christian duty, which it is, but it's also a place of delight for us. Like, I'm not trying to make direct correlations between whether we're Corinthian or more Corinthian or more Macedonian or anything like that. But I do know this. What this passage is about and what this sermon is about is one thing. God's grace generates generosity. God's grace generates generosity. It's the only point of the sermon and the only point of this passage. So Paul starts with grace, right? We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's several different churches, including Philippi. By the way, we're doing Philippians um, starting in February, so that's exciting. We'll be right in the same region. But it's a double entendre, this grace of God that has been given. It certainly means that the churches in the Macedonian area uh, had received the unmerited kindness and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. But it's also clearly talking about a financial gift, a grace-born gift of financial giving from those churches in the area towards this fund. God's unmerited grace, you must remember, always works itself out in generosity. So much so that in this passage, it's also called grace. The gift is called grace. So grace is the foundation of it and is the actualization of it. It's because God's grace, His unmerited kindness, doesn't just forgive our sins, and it forgives our sins and restores us to right relationship with God, but it fuels our lives. The Macedonian churches, y'all, were poor, much poorer than the church in Corinth. But they were giving out of grace in a severe test of their affliction Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, tied together, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I want you to marvel at the genius of this. Abundance and overflow there are the same word, and I wish it were translated that way, but uh, so I'll do it now. Their overflow of joy, coupled with their extreme poverty, overflowed into a wealth of giving. It's fascinating. But there's more genius to this. For they, according, they gave according to their means, and I can testify, beyond their means, of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The Macedonian churches certainly, as poor as those communities were, certainly had beggars. And they were still begging but they were begging for the grace and the grace of the opportunity to give to others in need. That's what they were begging for. 
to help their brothers and sisters. They were begging for the favor. And you know what favor is? Same word as grace. They were begging for grace to give grace to others. The grace of giving to the Jerusalem churches that were struggling. Begging for grace, for the grace to give grace financially. Oh, it's just like, oh, would my heart and would our heart redeemer learn to beg for opportunities to give? Lord, give me a fat raise. Not on y'all right now. I'm just saying, I'm, this is, I mean, I'm glad for it, but you know, we're, we're in the financial, you know, we're not, not now. Um, but so that I can give more away. Or if I don't get the fat raise, help me figure out how I can give away more. Grace to give for the joy of giving, which is its grace itself. Now, Corinth at this time is pretty wealthy. They got a plenty. And in some ways, they're a little bit like us. Corinth had also, though, promised to give faithfully, but they're hedging. And I don't know if this is like us or not. I don't know y'all's finances. I don't know. You haven't pledged anything. You, whatever. I, I really don't even care to know. But don't miss out on the reality of what's going on here. Paul is calling them to experience grace on the front end and in the giving. Their gracious participation in gracing the church with what they can. Okay, stop. This means that if you are struggling with generosity, with giving, the solution isn't first to get a good like um, plan, like a giving plan. That may come and, and often is needed. But the first thing means a deeper understanding of who God is and what He's doing in the world and the grace that He's given you and the fact that everything you have is from His grace. And then buying into, see what I did there? Buying into the, 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 the experience He wants us to experience, the grace in our giving. That's the, what He's doing here. And the way He addresses is even like totally just soaked in grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, not their love for Him, He's saying that you exceed in how much I love you. See that you excel in this act of grace, giving, also. He's gracious in his praise for them. Even though they have some beef, historic beef, he graciously reminds of them how, how much they exceed in his love for them. And he calls them to experience more grace in doing the actual giving. So, what he's saying is, give it away, give it away, give it away now. That song has overtones that I cannot get behind, but it was inspired by something absolutely beautiful. Lead singer is complimenting a friend's jacket. The friend says, insists that the lead singer have it. In a Rolling Stone article, the friend is quoted by the lead singer, if you have a closet full of clothes and you try to get, keep them all, your world's getting really small. But if you have a closet and someone sees something they like and you give it away, the world is a more expansive place. Amen.
And this is an ethic of generosity that is universal. It's actually built in the kind, by the kindness of our God into the cosmos. But Paul doesn't just, you know, kind of orient it towards an idealized state or a universal ethical norm, but to an historic event. event. The reason why generosity makes any sense for Paul and what he's trying to get to the Corinthians and us is because of Jesus's appearing, of him coming, his coming to earth from glory to bring us to glory. It's the epiphany, the revealing of the whole new way of life with God and his people and to the world and our neighbors. If, if Paul saw fit to like start the whole thing in grace, then now you're going to hear it for the like third or fourth time what I read to the kids. He ends this little section. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you may be rich. Grace generates generosity. Y'all, Jesus impoverished himself for our richness. Jesus gave up his power and privilege for the sake of the people that would reject him, that he, that they had beef with. Jesus took on our brokenness and our sin and our folly and generously gave us his righteousness by his grace. Jesus came and loved us when we seemed to ourselves and to way too many other people unlovely. Jesus pays our debt, our sin debt, so that we, we may be rich in our relationship with him and subsequently our generosity to the world. So Paul's focus here is not just finding the practical application of giving sacrificially, which he does send Timothy, we'll get into this next week, send Timothy to kind of help make sure the funds are all right and everything's working. But he's locating this kind of gift, this grace, in the most profound theological and gospel-soaked reality. And that's that Jesus became poor so that we might be rich in him. It might be... I, I, one of the most important theological statements in the world. It's certainly the foundations of economics and philanthropy, for church accounting and budgets, for creating your own family budgets and giving plans. It's going to be the foundation of the uh, capital campaign we'll start up in the next bit. But most importantly, it's the foundation of becoming a community that is generous in its giving. 365 this year, 366 days. So how does God's grace generate in your life, generate generosity in your life? Well, it's all tied to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, both in the fuel and the model and the motivation. I get this question as a pastor. I wish, I kind of wish I got it more. How do I know if I'm spending too much on myself or my family? Still get it a good bit. And I want to say this. I am so appreciative of this kind of question. Only a heart transformed by God's grace would even dare to ask a question like that. Would free a person to ask such a dangerous thing. 
Questions like these put your kind of dreams and hopes and plans before Him as our Lord to do as He sees fit in His kingdom. In a day when Christians often confuse fear with prudence and hoarding with stewardship, I am deeply thankful for these kinds of questions. They change you, and they might just change our worlds. But there is something I would nuance in this question. And one is from experience. Actually, both are from experience. There's a, there's a kind of naivete about this question in the reality of sinful indulgence. We are attracted to our own um, selfish desires like moths are attracted to a flame. And we need to be honest about the world we live in, um, that we are so shaped by the values of, of our present economy, our neighbors, our friends, people we want to be like, that so much more than the values of the king and his kingdom. And we just got to admit that on the front end and not be naive about it. If you're asking how much should I give, it's a great question, but it's, there's a better question. How much can I give? That's a dangerous, much more dangerous question. How can I grace others after experiencing the grace that I have from God with what I have of all my time and my talents and my treasure? I used to think, I just give me a boundary and I'll work with it. Like, tell me to tithe, I'll give 10%, and then all other 90% is mine to do with what I want. Got it. I didn't know them, but I didn't realize I had underestimated my own selfishness and the own, my own selfishness of the world around me that actually affirms selfishness. I have absolutely no judginess about anyone in this room whatsoever about this topic. Zero. All I'm saying is we have to be careful about justifying what we spend on ourselves and have those hard questions with friends that you know might be a little better at you, may see these things a little clearer than, than you do. Because money always blazes before us, and that flame always burns. The other part of the question that I think, I think is really important for us to get, and I think this is Paul's main thing, is that we often attempt to go at our giving uh, from a vantage of law first instead of grace or the gospel. And so we're like, what, like the 10%, I get that and go. We tend to manage life to, uh, to some often arbitrary legal standard more than a life emblazoned by the other fire, which is the kingdom of God and what's happening. We're not to, supposed to first spend our money in light of the law, though the law is beautiful, but in light of grace that the Father has shown us in Christ. Look, the Macedonian church... Um, would have not done well by a temperate, prudent giving plan or self-protection of accumulating wealth. They wouldn't have been praised for that. They were marked by extravagant abandon to the grace of God that fueled the mission of God and their very overwhelming joy. Listen, guys, these two chapters would not have written, been written if the Corinthian church was like the Macedonian church. But I am so glad they were written. Because it helps misers and spenders 
like me and you in the reality of things. I mean, God's grace allowed the widow to give away all that she had to live on, quote. An encounter with Jesus compelled Zacchaeus to repay back, reimburse four times of what he defrauded. Only grace does stuff like that. The gospel fueled the early church to have no needy Christians among them. In Jerusalem, which is now struggling, they would sell their possessions and give it to the church so that everyone could live and thrive. A law question will never get you to that place. The law is helpful. It's a guide. It's beautiful. But only an experience of this kind of grace will have into these kind of nutty things. We're to love the law, including the tithe. I should say tithes. More on that next week. But the law doesn't make us do strange things like these. Only grace, will, only grace will lead you to give till it hurts. Only grace will let you see what the overwhelming joy it is to give. And so it can change us from thieves to philanthropists, from shoppers to givers, and from savers to extravagant investors in the kingdom of God. And it can transform our moth-like, you know, hearts for money and protection and safety and all the things that we think money does for us and warm them back up into the beauty of the kingdom of God. And it revolutions our questions of how much we can spend on ourselves and be okay to what is God doing, doing and how can we be a part? It's been a hard few years. And we are, we are uh, some of you love this metaphor. I love it. Many of you don't. I'm sorry. We've been in a chrysalis. Where's Tim Carper? He does not like this metaphor at all. But we are like breaking out, right? And you got you to get some air in those wings. And we're doing that right now. And I'm so thankful. And yeah, it's going to take giving. But the thing before the giving is that we would experience the grace of God and orient us towards the mission of God among the needs of the church, all in light of the grace that has come to us through Jesus Christ. Ask Him. Just ask Him the questions. Find someone you can trust. Work it out together. Challenge yourselves to experience the grace and to figure how that plays out. Because you, verse 9, know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He became poor for us that we would be rich in him. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We live, I live as a man of unclean lips, among a people of unclean lips, in a world of unclean lips. You know how hard it is. So Lord, help us be generous because of your grace. We pray in your name. Amen.